0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 333. Now it's your turn. Recorded August 12th, 2018, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP Productions. Com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach. And joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie Engineer. Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen.
1: Hey, Mark, and welcome to the Faithful Opiates. We're great to hear you today.
2: We're Stalwart great- 2 reporting for duty, sir. <laughs> we're, we're, we're great to hear you today? That was... <laughs>
1: Yeah, we're great, and we get to hear you today. We're great to hear oh, you. Oh,
0: that's okay. So you were alluding to the fact that this is a listener feedback episode. Uh, I Maybe the first one we've had this year. I, I've been a little derelict in that duty there. Um, we'll get to there. <laughs> I just said duty. Uh, we'll get there in a minute. But first, I want to talk about, I finished up, had an opportunity to do some binge-watching uh, over the weekend, and I finished up Glow season two. I talked about the having watched the first couple of episodes. I think uh, a long while ago. I got to say they really stepped up the writing this season. I was so impressed. Several episodes were very poignant and and emotional, and and just really outstanding writing and they dialed down the boobage quite a lot too. I mean there's still naked women in it, uh, don't get me wrong, but it's not every third second like the first season was. So um, you kind of need the first season to get the second season uh, but if the first one uh, was just a little too raunchy for you uh, maybe the second one will will, uh, will be the thing for you. If, if the first season was just the right amount of raunchy uh, maybe the writing will be good enough to keep you around this one. So Glow Season 2 um, impressed me. More than I expected. It was the first season was season was just bubblegum for the brain. It's a fun thing to have on while you're doing something else. This one I actually found myself rewinding and, and listening to dialogue again. Uh, which is quite a compliment.
1: So it's sort of like how Kill Bill Volume One was just blood and gore and Kill Bill Volume Two was like an actual movie. So a totally different thing.
0: Having never seen either of those, I'll just have to say sure. Sounds about right. Okay. <laughs> and uh and seth you're gonna give a review i assume of a movie that i couldn't even think about paying money to see
1: okay yeah i went and saw the meg i first saw It was I think it was a an ad for a YouTube video and it was for the Meg Jason Statham um, And some other people you're like, oh, I know that guy Um, But it's so it's a Megalodon, but there's actually it's not this isn't like a sci-fi Oh, look, it's Megalodon versus, you know Plasiosaurus man or something like that. They actually the science is believable enough and you know the action It's not jaws. I'm they you know, I mean Jaws was in a lot of way it just kind of set the standard for shark movies. But I think they did a good job. It's not a great movie, but it's a good movie to go watch. Um uh, this is like, you know, stay at home and watch it on the couch kind of thing. But it was it was it was a good movie. It was it was a good movie. Yeah, they so marketing not, not a great movie. Their marketing
0: is is really trying to play it off like it's Jaws Reborn. Um, even down to the video poster. I mean the movie poster is very Jaws esque
1: right yeah but you know it, i of course they do it all the time now so many of the best one liners and and the jokes and that so much of that stuff, oh, it's like I've already seen it in the trailer. But, you know, I saw the, the one scene where they're doing, uh, you know, it's um, I think Frank Sinatra singing somewhere under the sea or whoever it is that sings that. And, you know, and it's kind of showing the beat. That was like the coolest trailer I saw. And it that it, it kind of sets the stage for the movie, but doesn't really give anything away. But it, it's a good movie. Go watch it. It's It has enough of a plot. To you know, it's not just stupid action, but you can. It's stuff is telegraphed, so no really big surprises. But I I think they pulled it off pretty good. So,
0: all right, and and just a quick thing. My my wife bought, The Gifted. It was a starring Captain America, Chris Evans, and a bunch of other people you've never heard of before. Um, and it's a total chick flick. But you know, if you're into that, I happen to live with a lot of chicks. Uh, we watched it yesterday. Uh, not a bad movie at all, uh, but it, there, there was a lot of ugly crying going on in my living room. A lot of ugly crying.
1: You <laughs> can't go wrong with ugly crying, I guess.
0: And Miles, uh, you want to talk about DTube?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I watch way too much YouTube on my TV set, it's really unhealthy. Uh, so, <clears throat> about a year ago, I discovered DTube, as we've spoken about before, it's that decentralized YouTube. And uh, really liked the idea of not having a central authority say what could or could not be posted. So um, I was playing around with this thing and about, but, you know, didn't have a TV app. So I don't want to sit and watch TV. I'm, I'm, I know the, the cool kids these days, they love watching their YouTubes on their laptops. But it ain't me. I, I like a TV set. So I decided DTube wasn't going to work for me unless I could watch it, you know, in a comfy chair with some beer and popcorn or whatever. Anyway, um about a year ago, maybe a little less, uh I discovered this guy who lives in Texas. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where. His name's Michael, who um was had developed a uh an Android app to watch DTube on, you know, for your phone. And I said to him, I can't remember how I communicated with him, but I found him somehow. I said, you know, it'd be really cool if you could do like an Android TV version of this. Um, and he said, yeah, well, I don't have an Android TV. So I decided, you know, it's my stupid nature, to buy him one of those little Xiaomi Mi Boxes. You yeah. can get them at Walmart, you know, they're like 75 bucks or something. So I bought this thing and I ship it to this kid in Texas thinking, well, there's money down the drain. You know, it's going ne- to never see anything back. Well, six months later, I, I reach out to him and he's like, yeah, I finished it. I'm like, Seriously? <laughs> are you serious? You did it? He goes, yeah, yeah. Here's the link to the play store. So I go to the play store and I download this thing and I swear, this is the coolest app ever. Um, It's in its early infancy, but what it does, it does well. And it, it allows me to watch DTube on my TV with beer and popcorn and it respects the remote control and it's got all the right stuff going for it. And it also is smart enough to know if it's running on a phone or it's running on a tablet and it adjusts accordingly. Um, But my life has changed this week. (laughs) All I've been doing is watching DTube. So um, anyway, I put a link to it. Uh, it, Maybe we can stick it in the show notes or something if anybody has an Android TV box or just even any Android device um, wants to uh, check this thing out. It is awesome and it's free, which doesn't hurt. So I have a question,
1: Miles, not about Mm -hmm. the app because I think that's pretty cool, but is there any really plans yet on DTube's profitability, you know, for future-proofing itself?
2: Um, Well, don't forget every host who publishes a DTube video is getting Steam rewards uh, back on the Steam blockchain. So if people are thumbs-upping their videos, they're making money. Uh, It depends on who's thumbs-upping the video. If you have somebody who has a high reputation store in Steam, you'll you'll issue more money to the host than somebody who doesn't. Uh, But that happens organically. The longer you're there, the more you post, that sort of thing. Um, What's really interesting this week is that, you know, this is the week that YouTube, Facebook, Apple and Spotify and everybody banned InfoWars. You probably all heard this on the news. Um, It was like where big media just decided, we're just going to shut somebody down completely. And I'm not an InfoWars watcher, I don't. I enjoy that stuff. I think it's a bit too extreme for me. But but what I do enjoy is the right of free speech. And this guy had his completely nixed right off the top. And it sent a really chilling message that no matter whether or not you agree or disagree with what somebody says, they still have the right to say it. And if you take that right away, then next thing they'll come for your right. Anyway, that kind of ramped up the, the interest in DTube for me this week. Um, and so I'm finding that now there's this mass, uh, um, kind of exodus <laughs> going to DTube from YouTube of people who think that they could be next. Um, so the amount of content is going up dramatically. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's all good.
0: You want to check that link, Miles? It, it's it's a link to log in and then uh, go past. I'll, so if you can right. just I'll, pull the direct link, that'd be great. Will do. Uh, all right. I, I think there's more than enough of that. So I'm going to move on because we got a lot of uh, listener feedback this week. Uh, so I'm going to start with uh, something that Jeff asked all the way back in January about Google Wi-Fi. He says, you mentioned using Google Wi-Fi at home. I'm looking for a similar product. He's probably bought something by now. Um, uh, but I have a couple of questions for you about it. Does it do NAT routing so that I can put my ISP router into bridge mode and rely on Google to handle everything? Yes, that's exactly how I have mine set up, My the outside of my Google um, Wi-Fi gets a public IP address directly from my AT&T router. <clears throat> um, I want something with good security, trusting the Google to protect us from black hats, but also with features I've read that it has: a separate guest network, control over oversight of kids, and and random IoT devices. Wi-Fi access, simple dependability, uh, cover large areas, etc. Uh, so yeah, it, it's uh, it's solid. Um, um, th- there is a single guest network. Uh, which is, you know, you can't do multiple networks, uh, but you can configure it so that those devices don't see anything else, so they only see the internet, and that's how I have all of my IoT devices are on the guest network, so that they can see the internet, but they can't see anything else. Um, I'm a bit, I'm, goo- I'm I'm, bullish on the Google Wi-Fi, and recommend you check it out. Unfortunately, it's fairly expensive to check it out, but it's, it's worth it. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Any comments Sorry, or questions yeah. about that?
1: Nah, I'm. I'm not a. I. I'm look. I still just look at the Google Kool Aid.
2: I haven't drank it yet. <laughs> Jeff just brings back memories to me about how I said, "Yeah, I better try that." We're going to check that out, and it's still happening. Right.
0: All right, anonymous who wishes his name not to be known uh, writes in about data ownership. He says, "Hello on Geek Grant 320," which is where we talked about. Uh, Um, storage and where things live. And we got a lot of stuff about GeekRan 320 Uh, He says, there was a request for feedback from millennials about data ownership. I'm here to act as only a single voice. I will acknowledge that I'm in the minority about my views on technology, data, and privacy. I'm in the process of entering the cybersecurity profession. And as you read the rest of this email, that becomes obvious. Thus, I'm very aware of different implications of data storage. I've just finished moving away from Ubuntu as my main daily driver OS. This is because of the new light metadata collection that Canonical is starting to do. I'm now in the Arch world. I'd not logged into either Facebook or Twitter for about three years until I deleted them and I'm looking at Google and asking if I need that. With all of that being said, I'm running a NAS that I build myself using uh, the Open Media Vault with ZFS because the FreeBSD free of either FreeNAS or NAS for free, uh, like the Ryzen chip in that box. I'm using SyncThing to actually get data synced between computers. SyncThing is like Dropbox except free and open source software and only running stuff that you install on it. I don't have that much data, only around a terabyte. The majority of that is ISO images of different OSs going back like 10 years and VMs. So I don't have a large media collection like you guys yet. Most of the video uh, content that I consume comes from YouTube. I'm currently using Google Music as my main music source. That being said, I may start collecting CDs and FLAC versions of music moving forward. I do have a backup of my data getting encrypted by my NAS and then uploaded to Backblaze. Uh, part of the reasons why I have such an overpowered NAS and an OpenSense fork of PFSense router is that for me, this is fun. Some people like cars. Some people like to go to the club. Me, I architect networks and storage solutions on a Friday night. The least pedantic person <laughs> on the bed and net. Uh, you're, you're among friends, Anonymous.
2: Yeah, we're all geeks yeah, cool. here.
1: <laughs> I really, way to go.
2: I, I, there's only one thing in that that I got I to flag. I am looking at Google and asking if I need that. And then two two paragraphs down, Most of the video content I get comes from YouTube. I'm currently using Google Music as my main music, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Let's face it, people. We can't escape the Google clutches. We have to accept that.
1: I mean, we can escape them, but we just have to go back to circa you know 1999 so if you're a big fan of Prince, there's you know life without google could look pleasant otherwise you're like what is this and you'd be looking like a kid trying to answer an old rotary telephone <laughs> what is that <laughs> so um yeah. you know
2: and don't it, it's hard to stock your uh, glove boxes with street maps
0: So I have all of my my entire music collection, several hundred CDs. uh, I archived them to Google Music immediately as soon as that became available. So I have my own Google Music in the cloud. Um, And the other day driving home, it had been a long day at work. My brain was kind of mushy. I had about two hours on the road. I wasn't in the mood for an audio book or a podcast. So I I dialed up one of my favorite thrash bands in my uh, collection and hit the uh, start instant mix. I don't know if you've used that very much but google music is an amazing dj um it gave me uh die happy into deliverance straight into mortification with with some one pad pig and then some bride thrown in there it had me thrashing all the way home it was amazing uh the selections it made just by picking a single artist and then picking start instant mix so if you're not using that feature you really should I don't know if it's as good using their catalogue of music, Of course, every song in my catalog is one I liked, which is why it's there, so they they kind of kind of couldn't go wrong, but um, it was a great experience so yeah the google the Google is still doing things better than everybody else, not necessarily the best possible, but better enough than everybody else that it's hard to get away from it.
2: yeah, indeed.
0: All right, and then Kirk responds to that same episode, 320, says, Hello, fellow elements in Opie land. What do the kids like? Discord, Twitch, Steam, Reddit, Twitter, Periscope, Instagram, Facebook, although less so, Snapchat, Netflix, Patreon, and any app that allows them to research before they try and review after they're done. Mainstream alternatives and non-censorship platforms abound in response to what some see as Google and Twitter's uh, ideological bias. Gab.ai lauds itself as a Twitter alternative that doesn't censor users. Daily Motion, Vimeo, and DTube are video hosting sites that are gaining market share. DTube is a YouTube alternative that promotes payment in cryptocurrency. There's also Tumblr, popular with the social justice warriors who hate normies, cis scum, heteronormative white males, anyone slash not radically liberally, anyone without a mental illness, psychological disorder, and or gender dysphoria. Basically, they only like people on Tumblr. Under 1% of the world's population. Finally, if anyone needs a definition, they don't go to Webster's. They go to Urban Dictionary. Not safe for decent, upstanding people. I apologize if this list is incomplete, but I'm too busy yelling at millennia- millennials to turn their music down to stop tailgating uh, to research anything, like, anything they like. Darn kids. P.S. Venmo and PayPal, a PayPal subsidiary, might be more popular with millennials than generic PayPal, but I'm not sure. Thanks, guys.
1: Kirk.
2: <laughs> wow, what a list.
1: <laughs> Kurt, you are an OPI. So yes. honorary <laughs> geek ranner right there. Good my Your head, credentials my are solid. I, I did yeah. not
0: do justice. I, I should have rehearsed that one uh before because that was uh that was a difficult read and uh, I probably could have should have performed it a little better. But uh nice one, Kirk.
2: Yeah, my head's spinning.
0: And Jason, who by the way, um in his email, uh you know, Google email, of course, uh, gives you uh, little pictures of people beside their email. I literally thought it was Seth. He is a, he is a doppelganger for Seth, maybe a few years younger. Just saying, Jason. Um, he says, Hey, Mark. I'm sorry, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> he says, Hey, Mark, Seth, and Miles, I was just listening to the latest episode of Geek Rant, which was 320. Love the new format, by the way. And I wanted to chime in on a question Mark had asked about storage. I'm a little older than the sample size he asked for, as I'm 31. So technically, I'm a millennial, but I'm on the upper end of the spectrum. As far as I'm concerned, cloud storage is great, but it's third or fourth backup option for me. I prefer to host as much of myself. I prefer to host as much of my stuff locally as possible, using cloud storage as an off-site backup for the mission-critical stuff. However, I'm a firm believer in Pi, pre-internet encryption, and given the recent news about Facebook, I'm even more in favor of this tactic. My typical backup strategy goes something like this. One, a main copy of the file will stay where it lives day-to-day, my desktop or my phone normally. Two, a backup copy will be maintained on my home server. Three, anything that is mission-critical, tax documents or similar items, goes into a VeraCrypt volume that gets copied somewhere online usually google drive google once again i just thought i'd pass along this as i thought it might add to the conversation about hope you guys are doing well and if i ever figure out how to attach lasers to sharks y'all will be the first to know (laughs) jason in south carolina freaking lasers
2: (laughs) (laughs) he's right on he's right on he's got the right approach and hey there's this there's hope in our younger generation if they're all like jason
1: all right all right hold on Tinfoil visor here, just got to throw something out. With all of the uh, backdoor encryptions that we know the government has access to, does pre-internet encryption really matter?
0: Uh, well, it's better than nothing. I mean, is it perfect? No, probably not. But it's better than nothing. Okay, just trying to, you know, incite something. <laughs> so, I mean, hey. it... There is no such thing as perfect encryption. The, right. the 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 thing is to make it so hard as to not be worthwhile. And using something like uh, VeraCrypt uh, seems to be a pretty good solution. Maybe the government hacked uh, the elliptic curve crypto that went into it early on, maybe. But if that's the case, you know, all your base are belong to us, and it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah.
1: Like I say I was just trying to see if I could not start something.
0: Well, and then I responded and then you just laid down like a
1: like a little puppy. I was just asking the question. <laughs> All right, moving just on. Just asking a question.
0: Scott (laughs) has similar taste to Miles in media. He is a fan of the Night Stalker. Said my ears picked up on Miles uh, Miles, when you mentioned the Night Stalker. My wife and I used to watch it for the humor. (laughs) Colcot, Col, Colchak, 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 and the interesting stories. Most of all, uh, uh, most or all of the episodes can now be found online. Do you remember, or did you also see the made-for-television movie The Night Strangler? Um, Not about Richard Ramirez or the other unidentified so-named serial killer but rather the further adventures of carl kolchak after kolchak and his editor tony vincenzo were fired vincenzo (laughs) excuse me were fired from their las vegas question mark newspaper they both Mm -hmm. found their way independently to seattle where they once again teamed up reporter and editor kolchak's uh, pursuit uh, of a story re murders in the pioneer square led him to the underground Literally. When I told my wife, yeah, that underground really exists, uh, I've been there. She freaked out. What? I'm never going back to Seattle again. This really <laughs> surprised me as she was such a level-headed woman, but she used to visit an aunt in Seattle, but never after that. Um, I knew about the underground uh, Seattle because as a student uh, in the at the University of Washington in the 60s, I applied for a summer job as a tour guide for Beer, Bill Speedle's nascent underground Seattle tour. I didn't get the job, but I did get an interesting tour of the underground. I saw neither monsters nor winos, although given Pioneer Square in those days, there probably were a few of the latter lurking about. I was not a history fan when in school, but as an older adult, I find such things very interesting. Do you know why Seattle has that underground? Do you? Why should you even care? Russell. Scott, excuse me, Scott, from Emeryville, California. Uh, Even my own little town has a history. Earl Warren, as uh, Alameda County DA, once called Emeryville the rottenest city on the Pacific Coast.
2: (laughs) Well, this guy is hardcore Night Stalker fan. He's right on the money. So I tell you, Scott, if you're ever in Phoenix, hit me up, dude. We'll have a beer. Because I... oh. I tell you, I'm I'm like yeah, I know yeah, I, yep I, yeah I saw that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah everything. And in fact, I lived in Seattle for a year, and I went on that underground tour once, and it's freaky, but it's it's almost exactly like the uh, the movie, the Night Strangler movie portrays it, and it's it's brilliant. Um, but yeah, I can't remember what the reason why there. I didn't it get burnt down and they rebuilt the city on top of it or something, or was that San Francisco? I can't remember.
0: Well, there's an underground Atlanta that is similar to that. They were building a mall, um, and when they did the foundation work, they found, like, uh, a whole city street that had been buried for whatever reason, um, complete with, like, uh, carriages, I think, you know, different, whatever the mode of transport was at the time, and buildings and all the, And so they just made it an attraction of the mall, built the mall around it, and preserved this, like, one block of the city street called underground Atlanta I haven't been there um, uh, I've heard both it's it's one of those things you have to do once and it's also one of those things that isn't really a big deal but you just have to go to say that you've been there but uh, I, I can see how that happens a city a calamity happens or whatever you just build around it you know move on
1: yeah Dallas also has an underground it's not as big as it used to be and I knew of the Seattle underground from leverage so what is leverage, leverage? Um, the it was this great television series um, we've I've talked about it a lot on the show um, you know this insurance guy hires a thief and crook and all this stuff to basically be Robin Hood and protect the good guys by playing like they're bad guys um, phenomenal character driven show great one of my all time favorite television series ever Leverage
0: all right I cool. I I don't i've known you 25 years seth i don't think i've ever heard you
1: mention that i've talked about it many times on this show maybe i just just blocked it out when i talk (laughs) yeah
0: usually when (laughs) seth is talking i'm doing something else this is true i'm producing the show Uh, all right moving on if i'm getting his pronunciation guide right teeny um in south africa uh says it's illegal to network lock cell phones Uh, The local networks try to entice you to stay on their network by making it mandatory that you purchase a SIM for their network when you buy a device. Then that SIM gets a free data bundles or airtime. It's very common for people here to have two or more cell phones and cell phone numbers. Dual SIM phones are a hot commodity as well. And Huawei is very popular here as well. From what I read, they're having difficulty, uh, a difficult time in the U.S. Keep up the good work. I'm not sure what episode he's referring to, but we have lots of cell phone discussions. So in South Africa, you can't lock a phone to a network. In the U.S., it's standard practice.
2: In Mexico City, it's exactly the same as South Africa because when I happened to be there about a month or so ago, my phone died. I had to go and buy a phone, which trying to do that in broken Spanish was amazing. But I ended up getting a, I think it was a a, a LZ, what's that other one? Uh, I don't know. It's another Chinese, LZE, uh, Chinese manufactured phone nothing comes pre locked to a carrier you buy a sim you get a data block you put it in everything's unlocked you pay cash for everything out the door you go you're on the phone it's real simple cash what a no- novel
0: concept paying cash yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right moving Ramsey on would be proud <laughs> I'm, I'm going to assume that it's michelle and i believe he's from italy based on the email address And he says that Miles is pretty radical. Um, Apparently, we had a a discussion about worker unions. He didn't... reference the episode it says worker union discussion are you sure miles is a democrat i'm actually quite sure he's not uh compared <laughs> to him you two seem like khmer rouge fighters maybe i should learn a bit more about u.s uh, democratic and republican parties in europe it's something different except for the religion stuff i'm closer to your opinion uh and i'm a left-wing activist i don't know if that's a compliment great job fellows uh, so i maybe their left wing is is our right wing who knows
2: uh michelle comrade i'm not a democrat <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I, I don't know what you call me. I'd prefer not to be placed in a box, but the closest box would probably be a, an anarcho-capitalist. That's probably me, but definitely not a Democrat.
0: So just, I mean, we have lots of political discussions here, and we make a lot of assumptions when we do that. So let me just give you a very basic primer on American politics. Um, we refer to the right and the left, because in our uh, uh, House of of your, your version of, uh, their, our version of House of Commons in Congress. they literally sit on the right side of the podium or the left side of the podium um, and the Repo- Republicans tend to be the more uh, conservative party the more uh, the party of big business the party of profiteering the party of uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and the Democrat party the left tends to be more the uh, using government to redistribute wealth uh, uh, bringing ushering in a utopian society um, uh, government is the best place to keep your money party. Those are, those are exaggeration and simplifications on both sides. Uh, but that's basically uh, the two parties, the two primary parties in our country, both of which are people entirely with utter jerkwads. Um, they're human, horrible examples of humanity, and they should all be tossed out. But I'm convinced that there's something about the process that takes normal, regular, upstanding people and turns them in to jack wagons because good people we'll go to Congress and turn into bad people within a term.
2: It's you, just again. you have to have those active discussions. Um, I was watching a really interesting lecture today by Professor Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you know the guy I from know the Canada. Name. He made a very interesting point from a psychological perspective. He said that if you, if you only hang with your own tribe, your own people, and everyone agrees with the same premise and there's no discussions that are ever... On conflict or they're ever at opposite ends if society was like that the human species would die because we're pre-programmed to adapt to ongoing challenges and not to have everybody be copacetic and everything's always cool and you know it's which is why you have to have opposite and alternative opinions because if you don't do that you cannot progress as a, as a species and I, and I kind of get that, and I'm thinking maybe that's the reason why polarization in government is happening. It could just be we're pre-wired for that. I don't know. Yeah. Tribalism.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I realize they used an American idiom there, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That comes from um, the horseback days when if you fell off your horse but your foot was stuck in the stirrup, you would literally reach up and grab the loops on your boot, the bootstraps, and pull yourself up onto your horse – by your bootstraps as you can imagine that's a difficult thing to do so that became an idiom in uh, american slang to pull yourself up by the own by your own bootstraps means to do something difficult without any assistance from anyone else so there you go Moving on, John Mark likes KeePass. He says, I chose KeePass for my password manager. It has no monthly cost. It's open source. I had to download the program from one place for my Windows computer, KeePass. I had to download the program from another place for my Linux computer, KeePass 2. I had to download the program from another place for my Android smartphone, KeePass Droid. I'm using Dropbox to sync the database files. I'm decentralized, I I think. If my passwords are stolen, I'll not easily know where the problem is. Uh, so yeah, KeyPass is a roll-your-own version of of LastPass. I've used it before. I don't trust myself well enough to to do that. Um, so I'm I'm still a fan
2: of LastPass.
0: Either you guys use KeyPass, Key K E E P A S S.
2: Yeah, I use it. Um, you, you can run it with a, an Uber key, too, which is kind of nice. Yeah.
0: I have one of those. Uh, yeah. A friend of mine sent it to me, um, and I've never really used it. I set yeah. it up, and then found I didn't really like it.
2: Um, Just don't leave your keys lying around where you forget it, and because it always ends up on your keyring.
0: Well, yeah, that's what it was. I, I had a, it was second factor authentication on my phone, and and like so, if I'm downstairs in the living room and I need to log into my phone, I have to go upstairs to get my keys. That's why I didn't don't use it. So this, this discussion could go longer than the nine minutes we have left in this section. Just ex- expect this show is going to go a little long. Uh, he says, uh, Kevin asked us to weigh in again on net neutrality. He says, Mark, please, if you could remind me of the podcast number where you analyze net neutrality, etc. That was episode 295. The title was Bad Name, Important Concept. Better yet, please take some time to discuss the current return by the FCC to a, quote, light-touch approach to Internet providers. Your view has been the clearest and most cogent I've heard uh, to date, and I still don't think I understand it clearly enough. For example... I just listened to an interview with FCC Chairman Pai chairman on APM's Marketplace, where the chairman spoke clearly and argued, and at least in language, that all evidence and data supported the change being made and directed uh, everyone to read the myth versus fact statement on their webs, uh, web as support for his opinion. The document reads almost completely like political talking ports. There's no reference to studies or data or reports. I have a sense that FCC and major service providers have invited the consumers to a stadium to watch the game they're playing. Of course, that means that we, the consumers, must pay for the show and live for the outcome without any influence or say in the rules or play, even though we're paying for both sides for the privilege to watch. Thanks so much, and please keep the shows coming. Kevin from Annapolis, Maryland, a Patreon supporter. So, um, Kevin, because you're a Patreon supporter, you get special privileges. Um, and I, I'm just going to quickly run down what I think about this. First off, the return to the light touch thing. So, uh, President Obama, during his administration, um, took a more active role or encouraged a more active role in monitoring um the the internet essentially in monitoring how the internet is used the trouble with that is the fcc the federal communications commission um doesn't really uh have any say over how uh, over the internet because the internet itself is is hardware um so the ftc the federal trade commission tried to do something and Congress said, well, that does, or it was actually the Supreme court. said that doesn't really work. Maybe the FCC could do it uh, because it is about communications, but really uh, this is all comes down to business, which um, is neither the purview of the FCC or the FTC. So basically the idea is a neutral network means it's just a, a, a just that it is, it is a network that anybody can use. It treats everybody the same. It's a, an egalitarian uh, system where the pipeline, the, the fiber optic line between my house and, say, the AT&T data center, and then from the AT&T data center to Netflix, is there, and, and everybody, anybody can use it equally. That's net neutrality. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, and I'm not one to uh, propose legislation. And, and, in fact, I almost never uh, am in favor of government uh, regulation. But this is one case where I think regulation could be done, uh, could be used effectively. So I was actually in favor of the, uh, the Obama administration's plan to regulate the, F, uh, the, the Internet. They didn't actually do anything. They just said they were going to do something. Um, and then when, you know, administration changed, now President Trump is, is in office, he said, no, we're going to go back to the way we were. Now, the, the Internet kind of went nuts about going back to the way we were and said it's going to be crazy. People are going to be double charging for things. Now you're going to have to pay uh, AT&T and pay a Netflix tax. There's going to be Internet slow lanes and Internet fast lanes. All these things may be true, but they weren't happening before the Obama administration declared their intention to uh, lock things down. They never actually did anything. They just declared that they were going to. And so I'm pretty mellow about the fact that they're not immediately going to run and jump and start screwing the American public and the rest of the world as often as they can, for several reasons. One, the internet is a uh, a global thing; it's not owned by Americans. It can't be controlled by Americans. And so, if Americans try to legislate a global property, uh, you know, it's doomed to failure. Uh, and it's going to be completely ineffective no matter what they try to do. You just route around it. It's not a big deal. You just send your packets to Guatemala instead. Problem solved. Um, And also, it's a case of, you know, the free market will fix this stuff. I'm not willing to pay for AT&T's fast lanes, and and most people aren't. So it's going to be a case where they're just fine. They're not going to make any money off of it. There's better money to be made elsewhere. So I'm not worried about the fact that we're going back to a policy That didn't cause any harm in the first place. I mean, the internet has grown to what it is under this light touch thing, which says basically the government's going to stay out and let business do what business does. And so while I'm not opposed in this case to regulation in terms, you know, of the borders within uh, within the borders of the U.S., I'm also not freaking out about the fact that regulation isn't happening because the whole, from the beginning, regulation hasn't been happening. So we just went back to the way things were. And frankly, the way things were was working pretty well. So that's my, you know, two-minute uh, recap of the whole net neutrality debate. You guys want to weigh in on that?
1: The one thing I will point out was your brief oversimplification of you would not pay for it. Uh, but you would because Netflix would be forced to pay for it. Otherwise, people would quit using them because Comcast would charge them and give their stuff free. So you would end up paying a higher price to Netflix or Comcast would run Netflix out of business, then start charging out the bleep for their stuff after they eliminated their competition, in which case you would be paying for it. So You might not be willing to pay for it directly, but you will. There will be indirect costs that arise. At least that would be the basis of one of the arguments. Yeah. So, so let me rebut
0: that. that that is what you're saying. That is possible if the government doesn't step in. I I absolutely agree with that assessment. That is possible if the government doesn't step in. However, the government isn't stepping in. Hasn't stepped in. And that is the isn't the case. So I, I think that there are much much greater factors at play here than government regulation or non-regulation.
1: Well, that is true, but. We're going to get into this whenever we get down to the uh, my week in history, but the thing is the regulation and the fast lane and slow lane and stuff, one, the networks weren't mature enough to handle it, and nobody had really suggested it before um, they said they were going to kind of control, and now that now that, that idea is implanted in the consciousness of CEOs and upper-level executives, hey, we can do this to increase our cash flow. So, okay, just food for thought. I, I don't I can buy say that.
0: Tinfoil, but fair enough. Miles, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, I remember before the internet, when you used to have, you know, plain old televo- telephone lines, um, and you dialed up BBSs like Prodigy or CompuServe or whatever. You paid, right? You paid for everything you got. You paid for the phone. You paid for the modem. You paid for the online service. You paid, paid, paid. And it wasn't great, but you know what? It worked, and we used it, it was all right. You got AOL, you paid them. It was just a different person you paid. And the internet came along, and this might be an overstatement, but I get the feeling like it created a whole, I don't know, world of freeloaders. (laughs) Like, it it was free. No one paid for an email or a phone call anymore. No one paid to go to a website, look something up. No one paid to search Google. No one paid to, you know hangouts no one paid anything and all of a sudden everybody's expectation is well we just get everything for free and the second there's a risk to that that model even if it's not implemented just a risk everybody's panties go up in flames and it's like well hang on a minute you got all this stuff for free you should be happy that you got it and if they want to charge a little bit extra because they want to you know, you'd pay a little bit more for Netflix or whatever. Stop whining. You got it for free. You used to have to go down to Blockbuster and pay 10 bucks to rent the video. Now you get it for nothing. What are you talking about? And, and listen, get off off the couch and go and get a job. I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. No wonder this country's going down the toilet.
1: I will just rebut that by saying as long as the government enforces monopolies uh, and by protecting business and enforcing monopolies, they ought to at least pretend like they're protecting the consumer as well.
2: Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, uh, that's a good point. Um, they They can't give something and then take it away unless we at least agree, right? I mean, if they give you this stuff for free and now they want to take it away- that's why everyone's all freaking out. I guess I don't know. I haven't seen the effect of it yet.
0: You know, this is this is one of the few cases where I slide toward the side of liberalism. I would support um, legislation declaring uh, broadband internet access as a basic right of an American citizen. Um, we have our society has reached that point where it's increasingly it's not impossible yet, but it's increasingly difficult to do the basic things in life. Without an always-on data connection, uh, and I can predict in the you know in the next twenty years it will be functionally impossible to do that. So I, I would be okay with that. Uh, and as as much as I am uh, opposed to big government, I think it would be okay to have a government-sponsored um, uh, system of broadband access. You know, uh, I I'm old enough to remember something called a TIF fund telefo- telecommunications infrastructure fund. Look on your phone bill, Americans. It's there. There's you're paying some percentage of your money a month for the TIF. And that the idea of that was we tax the users of the telephone system And we use that money to expand the telephone system. So for places like where Seth lives, Seth would not have telephone service, let alone internet service where he lives, were it not for the telecommunications infrastructure fund. TIF funds were used to incentivize companies to run poles and lines out to his house because there was no benefit to them to serve one or two customers. Well, that's pretty much gone away now, but that bill hasn't gone away. That's still being used, and and it's been used in education. Uh, I, you know, when I was in that other world seven years ago, now, um, uh, you know, uh, we used that telecommunications rider to, to pay for uh, network wiring and and hubs and switches and stuff. There's uh, at the time it was about two point six billion dollars a year that was available uh, from that TIF money. I would be okay with using that money it's already there anyway to guarantee every american as a right of citizenship access to broadband um and that's a pretty liberal statement coming from me uh which is why i'm you know uh, i think that i think the things are going to move in that direction we're getting to the point where for example to do your taxes right now you can do it all online soon it'll be you have to do it online and when once, once government services, government requirements become online, you have to give people access to the internet.
2: Uh, that's true. Yeah, I'm trying to formulate a response there. You, you, you're absolutely right. Um, in the 21st century, we've created a society that cannot exist without the internet. And, and I've found that in traveling around the world that when you go to places that have limited internet access, you go to limited societies. I mean, they don't have, you know, you go to, I don't know, get a airline ticket or something at the airport and you're waiting an hour. You know, if you lose your bag, God forbid, it's going to take them a week to find it. Um, it's, yeah, we can't, it's not a, a 21st century existence and the internet has definitely created the haves and the have-nots of productivity. Um, you know, you, you were saying before about what the old versus the new is, um, jobs that used to exist in 1990 don't exist in 2018 they've just gone because every business at its first option would choose to automate itself out of labor if it could it would put a bot in there to replace a human being a, a machine a robot to create a steel worker I mean whatever they can do they will do that that is the world we live in and if you don't have internet you can't participate in that world and at some point yeah that becomes a human right and um, what they're not doing, though, is by saying, look, we'll keep the highway open so everyone can get on there and we're not going to worry about what you drive down that highway, whether it's a semi-trailer or a, a moped, it doesn't matter. The problem then is what exists on that highway starts becoming utilities like Google, like Facebook, like you know Spotify or whatever. You can't exist without those utilities. And if those utilities are the Borg not the highway they sit on, but the utility itself, then that's probably a different issue. I, I'm thinking that the debate should not be so much about the net neutrality issue on the highway, although I tend to agree with you, Mark. I think that having it free and open makes the most sense because we're at that point with society anyway. I'm more concerned about what happens if the Googles become the not-so-don't-be-evil corporation anymore right. – because they are the public utility. They are the power company of the internet now. And if we can't utilize their services unconstrained, that's, that's a real concern.
1: And, you know, the terrifying thing is it becomes a right um, to, and then the next thing you know, in order to access that, you now have to use Microsoft. Microsoft. Because, I mean, we both know from education how hard it was to use LibreOffice or OpenOffice. No, the standards are Microsoft and that's what we have to teach and blah, blah, blah. So all of a sudden you're having to pay for this thing because that's what the standards were written for because somebody... They didn't necessarily buy off the standards committee in the state. They just gave a generous contribution to education in the state and said, maybe it would be good for you if you would kindly look upon what we're providing. So that's a very, I mean, you talk about a scary slope. I don't know. I just, again, that's some tinfoil hat for y'all. And this is a really cool discussion. I watched this YouTube video the other day. Um, It was actually yesterday. What if Independence Day Actually happened, and it's one of the alternate history guys. He went into what would happen if, and and he talked a lot about this. You know, so many people died. We did no longer had the productivity to maintain the information infrastructure. Uh, that of uh, the that um earth had reached and so it he talked about how we would fall back into tribal societies and lose the global stuff anyway interesting video if you think our discussion now is interesting look it up what hap- what would it be like if independence day really happened
0: uh, just to very quickly uh, get off of this, the, your point of you have to spend money to meet the standards that that exists all over the place. I have to go every year and get an emissions inspection on my car. I have to spend money to meet that standard. Um, that's that's just the things that happen when people come together in large numbers, and there's no reason the internet should be different from that.
1: Right? No, I just. But all of a sudden, you know, you have to use. I mean, what if Apple, because they're the ones that on all the cash. You know, in order to access the internet, you have to have an iDevice. I mean, that would be enough to make me move to another country, I think.
0: Fair enough. That <laughs> is your right. Uh, and so, moving on. John, Mark, this is, a, this is a weird email that doesn't seem to relate it to anything, but it was so funny, I just thought I'd throw it out there. It says, Mark, has anyone found a correlation between the number of commercials and advertisements per day and suicide? The mute button on the TV is helpful, but I still have to wait. YouTube has a skip button. That's nice, too. I have a Roku, and I used to select news stories, but now I have to watch a commercial um, uh, for each news story, and often it's the same commercial each time. Sometimes the commercial can be longer than the news story. The Coco Crew podcast for the Tandy Color Computer runs ads, but they're delightful. Sometimes they run vintage ads, and sometimes they run funny ads, and sometimes they run mock ads of products from the 1980s. It's the creativity that makes these ads so good. Kim Commando just said a podcast on podcast where she talks about ads. That's it. That's the whole email.
2: First world problem.
0: <laughs>
1: exactly. But I mean, that's really an interesting question because I know there were many times uh, Yahoo really killed me from clicking on a lot of their Yahoo news stories because they would show a one-minute commercial for a, an eight-second story. And I was just like... Yeah. I, I waited for that I'm glad I can't reach a gun you know because <laughs> so interesting question but good funny email and then the last
0: email of the night comes from Vaughn who who speaks up about silence uh, this was uh, the last episode maybe two episodes ago I can't remember so the interesting thing you talked about not being able to find time alone for silence and meditation yet spend a good chunk of time twice a day alone. Rather than spending all that time being entertained by technology, the car can offer opportunity for time to meditate and reflect. I recognize that driving is not always conducive to meditation, especially when another driver cuts you off, but it may offer the best potential of being a refuge of silence in a hectic world, especially if the kids are still in the house. I have a 30 to 60 minute commute each way to my office, and this uh, has me realizing that I also have the potential for my time of silent meditation and prayer at the start of the day, even if I just set aside a small portion of the commute before immersing myself in my feed of podcasts. If you've already embraced the digital assistance, you have the means to dictate your ponderings hands-free for later reference. Um, so I uh, addressed that in the episode, uh, and I'll address it again. My goal is to achieve um, uh, singularity of thought in a way that – that. And, and my whole point was that our modern world makes that difficult to impossible to do. Uh, yes, the car can be maybe the least distracted that I'll ever be which is actually pretty sad because when you're driving, you have to be paying attention to a lot of things. Now, when you've been doing it for, you know, 30 years, as I have, um, you, you you start to ignore the fact that you are, in fact, paying attention to hundreds of different things at a time, and it becomes second nature to you. But it is it should not be uh, a, a time of focus on other things. Um, and if I'm in my head like I really need to be, I'm not on the road and I become a hazard to those around me. So, yes, the car can be, uh, the drive can certainly be a time of, of fewer distractions and less input. Absolutely. But to achieve the level of deep thought that I am trying to achieve, uh, the car just won't do. And in my experiments so far, I ha- I, I, most of the time I fall asleep. I sit down, I, I, I find myself in a quiet, undistracted moment. And I ponder something and I fall asleep. What that says to me is that my body and my brain are so exhausted. I am not capable of thinking anymore. And I need to adjust my lifestyle to the point where I won't fall asleep at the first time when there is an external input keeping me awake.
1: Yep. I mean,
2: yeah, I haven't mastered the art of of this hour of meditation yet. Um, I think it's a noble, you know, challenge and uh, I'd love to do it, but I couldn't see a car doing it for me. I I think the distractions from just road – I mean, I want to be alert to what's going on around about yeah. me on the road. So I don't think I could really split my head into deep thought about some, you know, esoterical topic and, oh, my God, there's a guy on the wrong side of the road coming at me. Um, I think I'd have to focus solely on the car.
0: I mean, if – if you. If you're pushing a broom or uh, guiding a, a mule to the end of the row, going back in time, uh, I could see times where um, there could be stretches of relatively low or no distraction. But it, you know, highway speeds, even even bumper to bumper traffic at 25 to 30 miles an hour, is not the time for that. But it, this has been an interesting experience for me because I've realized that I have created my own world that, that my whole life. Has, has been orchestrated in such a way that I do not have the opportunity to think deeply. I think um, I think for my job, I'm solving problems, I'm, I'm coming up with novel solutions, that's what I do, but it's in small chunks. Um, I noticed earlier this week, it took me four hours to write an email, not that the email was that long, but I would write a sentence and get called away to do something else. And I'd come back and write a word and get called away to come back and I'd reread what I'd written and prepare to write and get called away to something else. That's the life I've created for myself. It's no different when I get home. You know, Between my three children and my wife, somebody needs a piece of me all the time. I, I, I like to refer to those as chocolate cake days. Everybody wants a piece of me. Um, and that's the life I've built for myself. And it's going to take time and intention to to change that. Uh, and I, I'm I'm still trying to figure out how to do it. But when I finally do find a moment on a Saturday where everybody has something else to do uh, uh, and I can be alone, I sit down in my comfy thinking chair and I'm asleep because my body and my brain are so exhausted from being running, you know, full tilt all the time. I just can't do that anymore. So I'm trying to make changes in my life, small changes, so that maybe it's going to take years to get there, but maybe in two or three years I will have. Uh, reorchestrated my life in such a way that I can actually be a thinker of the type that, you know, that I want to be CS Lewis, Emmanuel Kant, the, 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 the great Titans, not that I'll ever be as smart as they are, but I'll at least have the opportunity to be right now. I don't know what I can be because there's always somebody nibbling at some part of my psyche.
1: Yeah. I think we lose a lot because so much of, I mean, we're busy and we're productive, but, we are, our bodies aren't getting, I mean, I drive 65 miles to work. I sit in front of a desk for eight hours and then I drive 65 miles back home. I mean, that's not walking, you know, I'm not, you know, planting or plowing or doing something with my hands. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm tapping on a computer, but man, there's no time. And so my body really isn't ready to support my mind, you know, that blood that pumps the oxygen isn't just, it doesn't go very fast. There's not a lot of oxygen because my body doesn't produce the chemicals that allows my brain to hit. I, I, there's no turbo there. My turbo gets me to everybody else's normal because I spin such a set. I'm such, I'm just a rock in front of a piece of glass. <laughs>
2: Miles, do you have any thoughts? No, I'm I'm kind of blessed in a way that you know the sort of work I do is tending to. I, I I'm an asset manager. That's what I do for a living. Really, I just look after things like a farmer tends a field. I look after computers and make sure they run, and I look after stuff like that. You know, it's it it's pretty mundane, and I only get called out to really go hardcore when there's an adverse event. And you know, I my early years was all about building submarines for the military so I know how to build adverse, uh, you know, uh, stuff that's not going to encourage adverse events, hopefully. Touch wood. Uh, Of course, it always happens when you least expect it. But I do find I do have time between routine maintenance on things and responding to some sort of freaking problem uh, to actually sit and think. And even with the time, I have a hard time dealing with it because I'm always on call. I'm like a doctor always on call, but not actually doing anything. Um, you'd think someone like me would be able to find it, but no, it's not easy. It, it is something to do with our culture. It's something to do with the world around us. And it's probably, a. I guess it's kind of like most people sell their hours for their wage. You know, they, they spend 40 or 50 hours a week and they get a certain paycheck for that. And so there's an hourly dollar amount for earnings. Um, I'm not like that, but at the same time, I, you know, I respect anybody who's out there trying to, to do what they have to do. But I think because the majority of people are selling their time for money, we've created a culture that supports the majority. And that is there's expectations of paying your rent, paying your mortgage, paying insurance, buying you know car loans, student loans, all those things that are just part and parcel of 21st century life, and they create a treadmill effect. And people are on it. They can't get off it. They can't think anymore, and that's sad. And we we need to change that. I don't know how we do it as a society, but we have to try.
0: Miles just likes to drop these little things. Over the course of his time <laughs> on this podcast, we've learned that he's a, 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 a studio musician – um, who who knows rock stars? Uh, he's a real estate tycoon worth in excess of a million dollars. He's a he's a programmer who who you know who used to, who works with famous people, and now he's a sub designer.
2: He just drops no, no, these no, I things. Did. You know? I, that was when I was like in my twenties. That's that was kind of my first job was working for.
0: Yeah, an, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that makes it any less impressive? Oh, all right. uh, just, well, yeah. It was <laughs> I was only twenty when I was designing software for <laughs> nuclear submarines. Yeah, it's that's tra- not that's not less impressive.
2: It's honestly. not as glamorous as it sounds, <laughs> dude. It's not. If you've worked as a defense contractor, you know how unglamorous that life yes. is. <laughs> I,
0: I have a friend who does that for, I, I don't know how much I can say because, you know, government work. But basically, uh, engineers come to him and say, here's the dashboard we've designed. Here's the instrumentation we need. Figure out how to put that in there. And, you know, he's a defense contractor, and that's what he does. He's like, I've got right. 32 square inches and 74 square inches of switches. All right. Here we go. Right on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. that right. We're, we're a little long. We're, we're going to be probably 10 to 15 minutes long on this, but who cares? It's my show. We can do whatever we want. It's not like there's a radio uh, show that's not going to get heard because of this. So, Seth, what happened this week in history?
1: All right, Mark. Well, you know, the epic foreshadowing I leveled earlier is going to pay off now. So on August the 15th, 1994, a programmer suggested bundling Internet Explorer in Windows 95. So Microsoft decided to work to incorporate an Internet browser into its upcoming Windows 95 operating system in an effort to catch up to the Internet bandwagon it had missed. On August 15th, Windows 95 programmer Benjamin... Silvka, again, I'm an East Texan, forgive me, sent an email to his co-workers suggesting a worldwide web browser has a feature for Windows 95. Microsoft has since faced legal challenges for the way it bundled its result of the project, Internet Explorer, with Windows software. And Mark, that happened this week in history. And now, back to you. And that touched
0: off one of the dumbest legal battles ever in the history of of legal battles. (laughs) Um, You know, are you... Abusing your monopoly power by giving away something that other people uh, charge for—that was the whole thing. And and then there became the browser choice in Europe. Like twelve years later, they will st- we're still arguing over this in Europe. And and you have to uh, do an install of Windows where it comes up, and you have to pick from several different browsers. And Microsoft had to write code that would go actively download their competitors' browsers to be compliant with EU regulations this is just dumb that's all I have to say about that
1: I mean I will say that when your browser is so crappy that you can't even sell it so you give it away yeah, you're kind of abusing your monopoly, but yeah, I, the the solutions that they came up with were very stupid, and I think if people weren't smart enough to, you know, download a browser and install it, then you kind of deserve the crappy Internet Explorer you had. Well,
0: so. And that's exactly the point. I mean, the the research done for this by the the defense uh, legal, whoever prosecutes this, I'm, I'm blanking, Department of Justice, um, found that. You know, even though Internet Explorer came with Microsoft, like 80 plus percent of people used another browser at the time Netscape uh, was was the thing because it was so bad. So how is that abuse of your monopoly power if the only time you use it is to go download your com- the competitor? Um, anyway, I, I just think things like these are, are dumb. And now, you know, we have Microsoft Edge and the only people who use Edge and IE are IT people because you can lock it down and people who haven't downloaded another browser yet. Those are the only two classes of people that use Microsoft browsers.
1: Edge is the greatest browser in the history of the world to
2: download another browser with. Got exactly. to give it to Microsoft. <laughs> so replace win- Microsoft with Google and replace Windows with Android and change 1994 to 2018, and you've got exactly the same uh, uh, issue right there. Google forces you to use Chrome on an Android device. They have a greater footprint of deployed devices than Windows has now. Why aren't they getting the DOJ on their case?
0: Because the DOJ realizes they were idiots. And they're Uh, not going to go down that road again.
2: Because they're part of the CIA, you know, deep (laughs) state. That's (laughs) why.
1: (laughs) And, you know, nobody's talking about Apple and Safari on their lockdown devices. So...
0: Yeah. Yeah, where
1: you actually have to
0: go outside the app store to even get something else. Or at least you did early on. I don't know if that's still the case. I'm not I think guy.
1: you can get Opera and maybe Chrome. But I think it still uses the underlying Safari. You just basically download the skin. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Um so anyway, people are stupid as evidenced by this. This was this was a News bad flash. idea. <laughs> you know, people are stupid i'm sorry (laughs) and and like i had this discussion with somebody just this week at work so windows 98 the follow-up to that incorporated the web in everything your background image could be a web page uh your icons uh could be web pages everything uh was incorporated uh in in the web and and it was like you know this is ridiculous we're still on on 24 uh, or 28.8 baud modems at this point. Nobody has an all, all always-on connection. Nobody's pulling that kind of data. Who would ever want to do this? Fast forward to 2018, where we've got live tiles on every install of Windows that are web pages. I mean, they never gave up this idea. They were just 20 years ahead of their time. Now it's common. I mean, on my phone, my phone uh, background is updated automatically by content from the web. Uh, Microsoft was just way ahead of the curve on this one, and people thought they were morons when really they were just geniuses too soon. Yep. Maybe that's what all morons are. They're geniuses too soon.
1: <laughs> just just because I see different doesn't mean what I see is wrong. You just mm. can't see like me.
0: And now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity thus making you seem like a better hiring option?
1: All right, well this one has a chance, so this could be a boost. If you go to lingyourlanguage.com and click play, you will hear a language and you can guess which one it is. You have 3 tries to see how many you can get right.
2: I'm okay. not going to do it cuz I'm going to make noise for the podcast. Right.
0: <laughs> All right, that that's interesting. I will check it out later.
1: Yeah, I mean it's. I saw it. I tried it, and I got ten points the first time. So, yay! But um, yeah, so if everything sounds like Greek to you, you, keep clicking. You'll probably get it right once eventually. So. <laughs>
0: All right. And this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feedback to us, how you can be featured on our next listener feedback show in 18 to 27 months. Uh, you, can, you can call, uh, call, yeah, you can call 559 am OP um, and leave a voicemail on our Google voice box, or you can send an email to geekrant at elementop.com, or you can go to the elementop.com slash slash nothing element website and click the contact us button at the top of the page uh see i'm all discombobulated because i did them in reverse order and now i, I just can't even do it um and you can answer the world's hardest captcha. Fill out the form there that sends an email into my in basket, and you will get priority view. I will read your emails before I read emails from my wife about the leaky pipes. Uh, so you can do that. All—all all these are ways that you can can be right here alongside us uh, with uh, Michelle and Air uh, and 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 uh, Vaughn and John Mark and scrolling quickly and Teeny and uh, Scott and Jeff and Jason and Kirk all of these people and anonymous let's not leave out anonymous um and so you can do that and i would appreciate it we like hearing from you also if you have show topics that you'd like us to discuss please let us know if you have show topics that you'd like us to never discuss again that's okay too you can let us know about that and um always uh we appreciate your support uh, both uh, verbally and monetarily. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna beg for money this show. I'll do that next show. Uh, but also, uh, please leave us a rating and a review wherever you go. Tell people about us if you like the show, and I'm assuming you do. Tell other people about it. That's all I ask. And uh, now we're closing out this show that is about uh, almost 20 minutes longer than our regular show, but is still 50 minutes longer than any show we did two years ago. So, congratulations to <laughs> yeah. that. So uh, thanks for being with us, uh, Seth Miles. Uh, Thank you for being with us. Listeners who provided your input to this show, made this show literally possible. And we thank you for that. And uh, that's it for this episode. We'll see you next week. And remember, pay for what you like.